Freedom Hut. The DNC's delusional night two in the books. Deep State Yates goes full lib. Democrats dust off Russia insanity and Goodyear bans MAGA hats. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One call Make no mistake. America, great. you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Honor and a privilege to have you here, as it always is. And now with each passing day, it's like we're just we're both hurtling toward and slowly crawling toward the election. Depends on what time of day you ask me. I can't tell if the time is flying or if it's like we're locked in solitary confinement and all the time just blends together. But we are going to get there soon to the election and it will. The, the good news is that it will be done at some point that I <laughs> that I can promise you. Uh, the bad news is that if we lose, things are going to be pretty rough. And the president certainly understands that. Uh, play clip four. You know better than anyone, the survival of our nation is at stake in this election. And I will tell you, I never thought I'd say it because we had a great election. We had a great election a little while ago. Four years ago, I never thought I'd say anything could compete with 2016. This election that we're going into is the most important election in the history of our country. Because we had crooked Hillary, but this is something, these people are sick, and we have to make sure that this radical left, socialist, and beyond, because this is beyond socialism, this this is beyond socialism, that it doesn't happen, or we will indeed have Venezuela on steroids, so we can't do it. So here's here's what I would want to spend some time on today. When people talk about the survival of the nation is at stake, that I think automatically at least sounds to most of us like political exaggeration, right? The, The fiery words of a political season. But isn't it possible for the nation of a survival to truly be at stake? And by that, I do not mean that everyone in the country will die. It's not that all of us individually, our survival is at stake. No, let's let's just pause it here for the purposes of discussion as the DNC really just tries to misrepresent what it is and and is rewriting history every night in real time, uh, as well as just constantly lying. There's constant lying that goes on. They always accuse Trump of that. I think it's so fascinating. Democrats can't speak, it seems, about any policy issue or any major issue of political contention without just making stuff up, making crap up. That's what they do. But the survival of the nation, when I think of that term, I'm thinking of, is it the same country at its core, at its essence that it was before? Is it possible for a nation to die? Well, of course, we know if a a country is invaded by a foreign country, it can be overrun overtaken the nation we've seen this all throughout history in fact human history is really in many ways a cataloging when you look back into what we've paid attention to a cataloging of the powerful uh, invading and overtaking the weak in different parts of the world for as long as we've had human history and eliminate sometimes they bring in that society into their own and there can be Uh, More more pleasant ways for societies to combine than just the force of arms. But generally speaking, it's 
seizure from the outside, and that country can cease to exist. In fact, if you look in ancient Greek uh, literature, uh, you look at the most famous, the most famous epic poem of all time, the Iliad. It's about the destruction of a city and how the ancient Greeks considered that the elimination of a polis, which was their their equivalent of a nation state. The elimination of the polis was the worst calamity that could befall mankind. There could be nothing worse than the absolute destruction of a city, because then it also usually meant the enslavement and or murder of all of its inhabitants. Now, I'm not worried about the Democrats yet trying to round us all up into camps or anything like that. And I'm really not worried about that. Uh, I am worried about what happens to this country if they win this election. Is it the same country once they've had their way for four years? And I, I think that perhaps we've forgotten a little bit because we've had three years of a Trump corrective to the Obama presidency, just how radical and how far the Obama administration took us toward socialism and state control. He didn't get everything. There were some areas they were they were stymied on amnesty. They were blocked on uh, full federalization of uh, whether we're talking about the climate uh, of health care. There were some places where they weren't able to go all the way, but they keep as progressives. There is actually a lot of truth in, in that name because they keep progressing along with their agenda. They would say it's progress uh, for the betterment of humanity and, and of America. But I'm telling you that they are incrementally gaining ground. Right? Conservatives for a long time now have been on defense. And this, this is part of our, our philosophical uh, a philosophical disadvantage, you know, the old the old line standing athwart history yelling stop right from from Buckley. That, that's what we're supposed to do. The problem with that is that we, we're going to eventually not be there to stand athwart that history. Right. We're, we're eventually in a position where they get something and then we don't want to use the same state mechanisms to push back what they've taken. We say, OK, that's settled now, whether it's the Supreme Court, whether it's aspects of our culture even now i don't even know how anyone can make jokes anymore nothing's allowed to be funny we, we have allowed humor and this seems small but it's not small we've allowed humor in america to be effectively eliminated there are some very small areas where you're allowed to make jokes there are so many things that i would love to let rip on this show but i know that while funny uh, might get me in a bit of trouble and in this cancel culture we live in it's just not worth it you do a risk calculation. It is just not worth it. And this is all through all throughout our day to day now. And because of social media, everybody is now plugged into the matrix of politics. Just walking outside your home now, just going out on the street. Oh, you're not wearing a mask. Someone might take a photo of you that could go viral. You have an argument with somebody in the store If you go into a restaurant and say, why am I wearing a mask when I walk in? But then I sit down, and the mask is down. This doesn't make sense. Somebody might start a fight with you about that, go on video. And so now you have the hyper politicization of society, which has been going on now for years. And you also have a Democrat scorched earth, stop at nothing approach to power. Right. And this is why the Marxism at the root of, say, the BLM movement and and ultimately this the statism. I know this this seems contradictory, but there is statism at the heart of Antifa as well. They call themselves Antifa, but liberals call themselves liberal and they're anti-liberty, right? which is why I call them libs as a not fond shorthand. 
Antifa says they're anti-fascist, but they doth protest too much. They are, in fact, much closer to fascists than any other political movement in the country at this point. Do what they say. They have a list of demands, and they're demands for the state. The state must do the following things and have the power to enact the following policies. They are statists. They are fascists. They seek the levers of government power. They do not actually want anarchy. Not in the sense that people usually consider anarchy. I mean, the true, the classical anarchists who had fights stretching back to the the turn of the 20th century and in the late 19th century, fights with the Marxists, the socialists over what the best society would be, the classical anarchists. And you can look at uh, Mikhail Bakunin and there there are others that wrote about the need to eliminate state power in order to have independent collectives, which starts to sound a lot more like communism. But that's fanciful pie in the sky stuff that never really caught on. Antifa today is, in fact, an an entity of the Democrat Party that also pretends to be as American as apple pie when it is a socialist party. So when we're talking about the, as the president says, the survival of a nation at stake, Nations can die from politics and culture. A nation can end itself because there are enough people, and it doesn't have to be a majority, and it usually isn't. It's a dedicated minority that decides this country needs to be radically upended. Bernie Sanders uses rhetoric like we need a political revolution in in this country. Ocasio-Cortez is calling for revolutionary changes to our system. They put Biden forward because he is supposed to fool people. Oh, it can't be that bad. He is a figurehead of the establishment so-called normalcy that the Democrats are pretending they still represent. But the moment you dig down into the policies, the things they approve, the things they disapprove of, you recognize that this is a party that has moved dramatically from where it was even 20 years ago, even 15 years ago. Conservatives largely want the same things. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, contracts to be honored, streets to be safe from crime, everyone to be judged in the same way under the law, race-neutral, race-blind justice system, low taxes, limited government. You know, we have a philosophy that we try to stick to over time. The philosophy hasn't shifted. Sometimes we're imperfect with it, but we're still trying to, because we think that's what creates... And now we can get into Plato and Socrates, but we we think that's what creates a good society. For Democrats, it's about racking up wins. They're progressives. We want this. We want abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy. Got it. Good. Put that aside. We want uh, racially conscious. We want essentially the racial entitlement state. Good. Have that. Keep that. We want a government that can spend trillions and trillions of dollars a year creating financial bondage for future generations that they have no say in because that gives us power now. Good. Got it. Add that to the ledger. They, they, they keep racking up wins because they view it as the accumulation of power. We, on the other side of this, are trying to say, no, hold on. Let's decentralize. Let's move power aside. Let's let individuals make choices. Let's pursue freedom. Freedom is under assault now, friends. It's under assault in a way that I've never seen it before in my lifetime. This is worse than the aftermath of 9-11 from a civil liberties perspective, from a government intrusiveness uh, perspective. 
We're seeing things that I, I would have assumed the American people would revolt against. You know, shutting down private parties, threatening to arrest people because they won't do something that they claim is scientifically necessary with wearing a bandana over your face, but there's actually no science that proves that this is necessary. And any scientific necessity through policy would have to be a question of benefit, uh, you know, risk and reward. It's not even viewed that way. It's do what we say or else. Do what we say or else. Was Russia the same country after the October Revolution and the Soviet uh, the Soviets took power? No, of course not. It changed its name even. So we know that a country can end. That wasn't foreign invasion. That was internal. That was internal dissent. Those were radicals from within their own society that had been around for, for many years. And Stalin was an agitator in the Georgian underground. For a long time, of course, his name isn't Stalin. That means Man of Steel. His name was Yosef uh, Jugashvili. Uh, but he was running in these commie circles. And guess what? He was a journalist of sorts. A man who would print these little pamphlets about the need for a more equitable, a more fair society. And eventually, at the moment that was most vulnerable to the, the Russian nation state, and the, the state of the czars, he and, well, others along with him, Lenin were able to seize power, change the whole, transform the whole country. Do you really think that if Joe Biden gets into power, Kamala Harris is his VP, that they won't pursue amnesty, which will mean that the Democrat Party will what we see in California will become America? Very high taxes, the racial entitlement state where some people get some benefits that other people don't get, criminality excused, litter and lawlessness in the streets uh, justified, and inept government promising things that it can't deliver on, taking from the middle class and pretending they're actually really taking from the rich who will always find ways to avoid, uh, avoid this pain, and also rich people raising their taxes isn't isn't really going to be noticed that much. But for people that are making 50K, 100K, 150K, taxes matter a lot. So that's what's going to happen. The, Ca the California-ization of the whole country if the next election goes to the Democrats. Does that mean that America is the same place afterwards? I wouldn't be surprised if in time they wanted to start having constitutional amendments, excise some constitutional amendments. They'll remove the Second Amendment if they can, Oh, they can't buck? Why? You think Texas will stay red forever? You think Florida's going to stay red forever? They use the system of government itself to promote the political party that is the Democrats, that is the socialists. They leverage this themselves. And look at the way that they use institutions. The teachers' unions, Democrat power center, right? The federal government and all of its various bureaucrats, Democrat power center. Hollywood, academia, all these different places that create perception unfortunately in our society they're all in the tank for the democrat party you think they really can't pull this off look at where we are now we're in a society where you will be mocked and ridiculed for saying that you don't want your 12 year old girl in school to be showering next to a 12 year old boy and you can't call him a boy anymore and this is real folks this is happening right now you, you think that they're going to stop no, the Democrat Party is going through both a mass delusion and a mental illness brought on 
by Trump, which they view as they view him as a threat to all that they hold dear and what they think about themselves. And so whatever it takes to defeat him, they'll do. And the people that are most equipped to defeat him are the same ones that are the most radical. The people that are willing to do anything to exploit the media, to use academia illicitly against this president, the deep state actors within the federal government, they want to destroy him. And once they do, once they beat him, who's going to hold them back? Oh, you, you think this Republican Party is just ready with all the fighters in the background? I don't think so. The survival of the nation is, in fact, at stake, because if you think America is a set of ideas, traditions, history and culture, all of that is under assault from the Democrats. They want to change it. They are telling you that's the goal. They are taking actions already to that end. And they want this to be a very fundamentally different country. As Obama said, a fundamental transformation of this country if they win the next election. That's the goal. That's the plan. And those are the stakes. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. I mean, I hear the booze. How the hell did she win the primary? How the hell did she win? This woman is crazy. She's a horrible woman who hates our country. She, yeah, mail-in vote. You're right, right? We'll have to check that. Let's check the mail-in vote. Now, seriously, how does a woman who hates our country, who says nothing but bad things about our country and Israel and other of our allies, how does this woman win? Where are the people that would vote for her? Omar called the Minneapolis police a cancer and said they were rotten to the root. But Joe Biden did not condemn the comments. He didn't want to talk about it. He didn't disavow her endorsement. He displays it proudly on his website. This is what's going to be running the country. It's true. AOC, Tlaib, Pelosi is fine with all of this, too, as long as she stays in power. She has no, no problem with this. And she's a, she's a lib. That's what you're going to see. You know, these are the people. These are the individuals. You know, Schumer and Pelosi and Tlaib and Omar. They're going to be running the country if Trump loses this election. How does that make anybody who cares about this country feel? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Longtime listeners of this show know that I've been saying that Deep State Yates was a partisan hack all along. It was obvious. Her completely unnecessary grandstanding. I will not, I will not uh, carry out the order of this president when it comes to the travel ban. Remember, the travel ban ended up being upheld by the Supreme Court, so Sally Yates might need a, a legal refresher. But she showed everybody who she was there, and that was a, a brand move for her. That was, oh, all the libs now know who she is. After she had been working from behind the shadows, behind the fiction of her civil service role, you know, just helping out, just helping out the country, helping out people. No, no political beliefs whatsoever. That's what she wants you to think. Hiding behind that fiction for many years at the DOJ, along with people like Strzok and Page and Lynch and Comey and right. This is all this is all part of it. And I've known that she's somebody who hated Trump and was a giant lib and was one of these 
these deep staters all along. And I think she was much more involved in some of the uh, efforts to take down the Trump administration than we have even yet found. I've always thought she was the one who, when when she heard about the Logan Act and all this stuff, trying to get General Flynn, was, was involved in all of this in ways that we have yet to fully even understand. I'm hoping the Durham report will at least give us clarity on that. But and I've I told you, I, I think that you've seen probably your only your only prosecution from the Durham report already. And if that's the case, I'm right. And I've been right all along. So we'll see. I could be wrong. But when they when they go after someone like Yates or Comey, or, you know, when they bring charges against somebody of that stature, that, then we'll know that the GOP is going to get some justice. Then we'll know that the DOJ is is serious. You know, the left goes all the way. The right always says, well, we don't want to be too rough. And we see how that plays out time and again across across our country. But here is Yates doing exactly what I knew she would do, which is just read me. Why is she speaking of the DNC? I thought she was a nonpartisan civil servant. Oh, you mean she's actually a Democrat hack operative? Kind of like it wasn't really the Mueller probe. It was the Weissman probe. We were told, oh, no, he's a career DOJ guy. He's not some ideological Democrat using the prosecutor's powers to go after his political enemy. Oh, and then he came out and was going to start doing fundraisers for the DNC. Friends, let's let's stop with this nonsense. Look, I, I, I always say this. I can't. There are certain situations in which I know that I can't trust people if I think that they're a committed ideological lib professionally. It's very, very hard to do that. I think you do that at your own risk. Too many ways to too many ways to get hurt with that. So here's Sally Yates saying that Putin was trying to pick our president. The return of the Russia collusion delusion. Play 11. Well, I think that this report establishes the same thing that the Mueller report did and the same thing that our intel community had found before, but they've done it in even greater detail now. And that is that the Russians were interfering in our election to try to assist Donald Trump. Essentially, Vladimir Putin was trying to pick our president. And the even more frightening thing, I think, is that they're still up to it. They're still working now in this election. They're still working now in this. There's still Putin's trying to pick Trump. The Russians at this point have just got to be laughing their asses off at us, or at least at the Democrats that continue. Well, no, probably all of us, because we have to sit around and deal with this. This is idiocy. Putin didn't pick Trump. Okay, 63 million Americans or whatever the number was in 2016 who voted for him did. Trump has what 97 percent, 99 percent approval in the Republican Party. There's. This is a fantasy, but she continues with this. This was part of what you saw at the DNC last night. These people have learned nothing. Have you ever seen her out there apologizing for spying illegally on Carter Pitch? Oh, but Buck, they used the FISA process. Yeah, they cheated in the FISA process. You know, this would be like a cop who shows up at the scene of a suspected of a suspected criminal's house and plants a gun. And then for years we hear, well, they found the gun in his house. Yeah, but they planted it there. They cheated. But no, they don't. They don't care. People are so. It, one of the the big issues with this whole Russia Gate spy gate mess is that it proves who has good judgment and who's actually smart. Who could really think through that issue and figure it out? 
all these liberals who think they're very bright. Oh, look at their credentials and look at the careers they've had in government service or whatever. They believed all this because they're just not as smart as they thought they were. That's very important. Ego, the connection from ego to politics matters a lot to people. And as I've said, it's one of the most powerful aspects of the Democrat brand. It gives very unimpressive people an excuse to think they are much more impressive than they are. That's one of the most powerful parts of being a liberal today. It comes with all of this, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm, one, of the, I'm one of the smart, good people. I care so much, because I vote Democrat, I care so much about the poor. I care so much about downtrodden minorities, right? I, I care so much because I vote for Joe Biden. Um, I, I don't think that casting a vote for Donald Trump means something about a person. It means that they want things that they believe Donald Trump will do in office. And they support his actions as president or the actions he would take and now would take again for four more years. But Sally Yates, I've, I've known all along. She just she reminds me of people that I knew in the intelligence community when I worked there that have been around a long time. And they were just the most smug, sanctimonious lives, mediocrities, intellectual mediocrities who burrow deep into the bureaucracy and become the bureaucracy mediocrity. They become somebody who we're supposed to look up to and listen to. Uh, it's terrifying that she was making decisions at the DOJ that affected people's lives. She's not a just person. She believes all this crap. I'm sure she would tell you that Roe v. Wade was a good constitutionally sound decision, which is dumb, right? I'm sure she would say all the things that you would expect a lib to say. She was acting attorney general of this country under the Trump administration, granted during the transition but that's what was happening here that's how high up the chain she went and now she's a hero over at msnbc speaking at the dnc and willing to carry water for the weekend at bernie's presidency of joe biden play 10 well i think joe biden is absolutely up to the task you know when i think about this election to me it all really comes down to who do you trust who do you trust to put the country first? Who do you trust to live up to our values? And who do you trust to tell us the truth? Um, Joe Biden, uh, you know, has all of those things. And when, when people talk about, you know, the decency and integrity that he has, that's absolutely the case. The decency and integrity that he has. Let's think about that for a moment. We know that he has been a plagiarist. We know that he's lied about his background, just flat out lied to puff himself up for political advantage. And we know that Democrats, until what feels like five minutes ago, recognized that he was an unimpressive and, and just generally deficient politician. He was a senator from Delaware, which is really like being the, you know, top alderman for the city of San Francisco or something like no, no one's really that impressed. It's just not anything that you would think is a stepping stone to the presidency. And yet they forget all of this now and tell us that he's such a good man. Why is he such a good man? I want to know, was he such a good man when he would go swimming naked in front of uh, female members of his secret service detail? Was that really respectful and cool? Was that a cool thing for me? Because he did that. 
I've been told that by people who are on his Secret Service details. So was that really cool? Was that really respectful, great guy thing to do? They have torn everything about Trump's life apart. They have lied about him. They've brought up divorces. They've made these uh, accusations about, you know, Stormy Daniels, who has no evidence that she ever actually had a relationship with Trump. But some, somehow she has no evidence of it. But, you know, we're supposed to believe her. And she had the, the most dishonest and disgusting lawyer in the country. Remember that guy? I mean, the, the Democrats keep assuming that we all have no memory of what they've said before, what they're willing to do. Um, they had. It's funny. I want to call him the creepy porn lawyer, which I know is what. Uh, Tucker calls him. I'm forgetting his name now. What's what's that guy's name? He's uh, I want. It's not Sc- Scaramouche. The Mooch is a different guy. No, the creepy porn lawyer. Who's the? Ah, I'm. You know who I'm. You know who I'm talking about. You know he's now in a position where I think he's going to federal prison. Um, Avenatti. I remember now. Avenatti. Michael Avenatti. Uh, he was on CNN seventy times. I think at one point. Over a three-month period, 70 times that guy was on. He was like the most frequent guest on CNN for a while. A total scum. An unethical. This is a guy who steals money from a client of his, you know, who's in a wheelchair. Democrats elevated this person, elevated him, said that he was great, thought about maybe having him run for president. But now they want to play the, oh, we care so much about character game for Joe Biden's benefit. Joe Biden has lied repeatedly about the tragic accident that killed his then wife. And, and I believe it was his daughter. Um, I know he lost a child. I think it was a daughter, not a son. He's lied about that and said that the guy was was drunk. A horrible slander. The guy was not drunk. Um, the car accident. There's, there's actually a record of this. His wife drifted into the lane with an oncoming truck. And it was a tragedy, a horrible tragedy. The truck, no, nobody was drunk on the other side. That's a that's a really terrible thing. But it's it's part of Joe Biden's just make stuff up. He says that he marched in the civil rights movement. He never marched, said that he was arrested to go see Mandela was never really arrested. I mean, this guy is a serial fabricator. And, you know, he's got his son, Hunter, on the boards of companies and using his name and all this stuff. And everybody knew, they'll all pretend they didn't now, that that was gross and unethical, even if it wasn't necessarily illegal, but who knows. Joe Biden, such a great, such an honorable, decent guy. How? Because he's got a big grin and will shake hands and, you know, puts on the whole blue-collar Joe, I ride Amtrak thing. He's worth like $40 million now. Gave a lot of speeches and did a, did a lot of glad handing for big checks as soon as he could. Now, I'm not opposed to people making money in this world, but it's a, at the political level, it feels a little bit like buying influence, right? Joe Biden's speeches are not worth 100K or 150K a pop. Just like Hillary Clinton. How many Clinton speeches do you think there are right now or, or there have been in recent years where Bill or Hillary gets a half a million dollars for a speech? How many of those do you think there have been? I'm going to go on zero since Hillary lost, because it wasn't really about paying for speeches. It was about buying influence. But again, we're told that Joe Biden is so ethical and so decent from someone like Sally Yates, who I'm sure hasn't lost a night's sleep about the ruination of General Flynn's character and life by her and her colleagues. Out of partisan spite, because they are such crybabies. You know, there are a lot of things that I believe are defining characteristics for Democrats, but Being a bunch of crybabies is at the top of the list. 
if they don't get their way, they freak out. They, they don't have the, the mental and emotional and spiritual fortitude to accept that, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You move on. This is why they can't accept that they lost the 2016 election. They couldn't accept they lost the 2000 election. Because it's a party of crybabies. And Sally Yates is a part of it, and she's a cheerleader for all the crybabies. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Donald Trump says we're leading the world. Well, we are the only major industrial economy to have its unemployment rate tripled. At a time like this, the Oval Office should be a command center. Instead, it's a storm center. There's only chaos. Just one thing never changes. His determination to deny responsibility and shift the blame. The buck never stops there. Now you have to decide whether to renew his contract or hire someone else. If you want a president who defines the job as spending hours a day watching TV and zapping people on social media, he's your man. Denying, distracting, and demeaning works great if you're trying to entertain or inflame. But in a real crisis, it collapses like a house of cards. COVID just doesn't respond to any of that. To beat it, you've got to actually go to work and deal with the facts. Our party is united in offering you a very different choice. Notice how they always say there's a failure of leadership with Trump and that we could have beaten COVID. If we did what exactly? What's the... What's the claim there? India, huge surge in cases in the last couple of months. Brazil, huge surge in cases. What were we supposed to do that was going to beat COVID? I never say. But more importantly to me right now than that comment from Bill Clinton is the photo of him getting a back rub from one of the Epstein sex slaves that the Daily Mail published. I got to say, hats off. The Daily Mail is one of the best websites out there these days. Ever since Drudge abandoned us and went crazy, you know, the Daily Mail, yeah, there's a lot of tabloidy trash stuff, but they also, they break big stories. They got the George Floyd first 10 minutes of the arrest video out. They got this, uh, the, the photos of Bill Clinton getting a back rub. They break news that Democrats don't want. Right now, you can see that the national news media, they're, they're not going to do anything that hurts Democrat chances. Now, I, I don't want to get conspiratorial about the Epstein stuff, because that's very easy to do. But I, I will say, uh, Bill Clinton has lied about this. He has lied about his uh, the frequency of his travel and his travel to so-called pedophile island. Lied about these things. And Bill Clinton talking about the propriety of what's going on in the Oval Office is beyond comedy. Yeah, you, you know, I just, when I was there, I would just be like, hey, what's up? And you know, I'd, I'd say, I, you know what I really need right now? I need some time with an intern. I need to just, I need to mentor that intern for a long, long time. So everyone else just shut the doors. And that is who the Democrats rallied around, defended. Let's recall that all their stuff about Trump, Trump hasn't done anything while he's the president in the Oval Office that is in, in the same universe as the stuff that Bill Clinton was doing. When it comes to propriety, when it comes to decency and an honorableness. And yet he's still speaking at the DNC. I don't I honestly. No person of intelligence should give a crap what Bill Clinton has to say about anything. Bill Clinton is like an accident of political history. The only reason uh, that his presidency wasn't an even greater wasn't a, a disaster. 
was because he managed to get out of office before we got hit with 9-11, which was all all the momentum, all the planning was occurring while he was the president, wasn't doing crap about it. He was too worried about the Monica hearings. And he got very lucky with the creation, really, and the exponential expansion of the Internet and all the economic activity that came along with that and had a divided government and Newt Gingrich and a Republican Congress. So they were able to hold them in check at some level, but there's nothing impressive about Bill Clinton. People look at the Bill Clinton legacy. What, what was it exactly? You go back and look at what his federal government. I mean, it's just stunning. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was coordinated. You had Stone coordinating it. You had Stone talking to WikiLeaks. You had Stone talking to Trump. They knew when all of this was coming out. You had Stone on the day of the Access Hollywood tape coming out, pushing to get the WikiLeaks information out there because he wanted to, to, to stir the pot up and, and have a distracting headline. So, yeah. again... Anybody that talks about a Russian hoax, uh, as I said weeks ago, as I wrote in a Washington Post column a few weeks ago, they're just going to look like absolute fools and useful idiots uh, throughout throughout history. I don't know if Joe Scarborough is playing a character in the mornings where he's a a moron, uh, a moronic Republican or just a moron. I don't understand how anybody can be this uh, deluded at this point, especially because, remember, he he was a big Trump fan during the actual presidential contest of 2016. Then Joe and Mika had a falling out with Trump, and it's all personal. That's all that matters. The Russia hoax is a hoax. What what is he talking about? Oh, Stone and, you know, talking to WikiLeaks and this thing and the other thing. And what? Everyone who has looked at this who has been... A, a final word on any aspect of it. It said no evidence of Russia collusion whatsoever. None. Roger Stone sending a message to WikiLeaks. There, there is nothing there. This is the Mueller probe didn't find any collusion. You had a group of Democrats get together under the guise of being a special counsel who were running a destroyed Trump operation. And they came up with nothing at the end. Nothing. They did everything they could, but they couldn't fabricate the evidence, although. In retrospect, I'm sure some of them were upset about it. But you see, the, the, the Democrats still continue to believe that Russia collusion was real, no matter how many reports there are, no matter how many commissions and hearings and special counsels. They're going to go back with this. This is stunning. To you, you hear this and go, Buck, why are we even... These people are lunatics. They're nuts. Yes, but this is powerful for the Democrat Party. They're bringing back the Russia, as I have been telling you for months. They're bringing back Russia. Oh, Russia collusion. Wait, it's fake. No, it's real. It's real. It's absolute. It's absolutely absurd. It's just it's just wrong what's going on here. It's just wrong. Um, but that's what we see happening. That is the uh, the circumstance in which we find ourselves. You have. Let's see here. Oh, David Pluff, David Pluff on MSNBC, really going for it on this Russia stuff. Play one. I think next week's convention, the Republican convention, is far more important because he's behind. So what does he do? Is it basically a series of grievances and insults and white power hours? 
or does he try and make a compelling argument for a second term? So, uh, again, I think the Russia story, uh, it should make Democrats uh, redouble their efforts at vigilance and understand we're up against a lot here. Voting in a pandemic, maybe postal service delays, a lot of confusion, disinformation. The Russia is doing everything they can to have their asset remain uh, in the Oval Office, as strange as that sounds. Uh, uh, but but it's more motivation. So uh, whether it's front center election, I don't know. Um, but I think it should give us all more motivation because who knows what a second term will be like. I think we do know uh, it will be Moscow's for the taking. His second term will be Moscow's for the t- it's still the Russian asset stuff. It's like we haven't learned anything in the last four years. There's been no investigation. There's been no people are nuts. They'll believe this no matter what. The conspiracy will never go away. They'll never abandon this. They'll never say, you know what? Maybe we were a little bit off on that one. Do they ever look at what we found out about people like Strzok and Page and now this guy Kleinsmith who were either doing things that are bad enough to get fired from their jobs, their senior bureaucrat jobs in the government, or in the case of Kleinsmith, to maybe even get a felony conviction? They, They ever look at that? Why was that happening? Just imagine for a second that the Bush administration had its top officials involved in a clear conspiracy to ensnare the incoming Obama national security advisor in a perjury trap and were lying on FISA forms to do a surveillance of somebody associated with the Obama campaign. These are facts. This is what we know that happened. We would it would be Watergate times 10. I mean, the, the, the liberal, it's all you would hear about for, for eternity. In 50 years, you would still have libs whining about the targeting of the Obama administration by the Bush administration. And they pretend like what happened to Trump is nothing. They pretend that this was all somehow fine. It was warranted. In fact, he's an asset of Moscow. How? By getting NATO to be stronger than it was in the past? By blowing up a couple of hundred Russian paramilitaries in the Syrian desert? By sending Javelin anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainian military so that they can blow up Russian paramilitaries in eastern Ukraine? That's how he's Putin's puppet? They, they say this because they think it sounds smart and their, their audience, their supporters, hee hee hee, Russia, Russia, ha ha ha. No. This is appearing at the DNC. They've, they've brought this narrative back. Because the truth never really mattered. It, they prefer to live in this in this delusion where Donald Trump is a Russian asset. And Hillary Clinton, oh, didn't commit over a hundred uh over a hundred crimes of classified information mishandling, which she did. As as clear as, as day, she did. We all know that. But look, people don't want to believe that they're wrong. They never want to have to face reality. Intellectual and emotional accountability are things that liberals reject wholesale. They want none of that. They want to just believe what they believe and think what they think. The Trump supporters that I know, and I just was down in North Carolina having a lot of conversations with Trump supporters. Uh, just people came up to me wanted to talk. And they're all, there's always stuff, you know, I wish Trump would do this. Or I, I, they're very clear-eyed about what they see from the Trump administration that they like and don't like. They don't worship him. They like the movement. They like the sense of there's kind of a a little bit of a sense of. uh, 
tr- uh, you know, a, a little bit of sense of troublemaker joy just by w- going around with your MAGA hat on and everything else. You know, th- they like that there's something fun about this, but they also understand that it's not perfect and you got to keep pushing the president to do the right thing. This DNC stuff that you're hearing now is just all it's all a construct. They are trying to cobble together a coherent narrative of why Joe Biden and Kamala Harris should be the president and vice president of the United States, respectively, when they don't really they don't really believe a lot of the things that they're saying in order to convince people of this. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There are things that they want. They want to see their team in. This is just the most basic, straightforward tribalism. My side has to win. My team has to win. And if that means they have to continue to lie about the Russia stuff, they are happy to do so and will continue to do so, even though it's, oh, wait, the dumbest guy on TV, Steve Schmidt, who's out there, you know, when he's not selling out people he used to work for, he's on TV saying dumb things and being a dumb ass. Play 12. Look, the campaign was compromised. It colluded with the Russian government, with Russian intelligence services. It was stocked top to bottom with useful idiots. And the Russians are doing the same exact thing in this election cycle, spreading misinformation. The misinformation is routinely repeated by United States senators like Lindsey Graham and and Ron Johnson poisoning the discourse in in this country. And it says nothing about Trump's behavior over these recent years as president of the United States, his fetish for Putin, the insistence that there not be interpreters in the room. It's incredibly suspicious behavior. But the question about whether there was collusion between the campaign and and the Russian government, it's been settled for a long time. Look, the word collusion has a meaning in the English language, and the actions that the campaign made fit the meaning of that word. They colluded, period. End of discussion. I mean, this is the ultimate gaslighting. We've gone through years of hearings and investigations and prosecutions and all this. The Mueller report, no collusion. There was no collusion. And here you have a former public. I mean, this guy is just a political mercenary. We'll do whatever to get paid by whoever doesn't care, has no principles, has no honor. I mean, he's really a scummy fellow. All you have to know is that HBO made him the good guy in the just crash Sarah Palin movie they did, uh, Game Change. If HBO makes you to be if HBO makes you the good guy in a movie about politics, you're the bad guy. But uh, this is what you're going to see, the continuation of the false narrative of Russia collusion That's what they're going to say. That's what they're going to do. And uh, they don't care that they're misleading their audience. They don't care that this is absurd, that this is wrong. In fact, I think they they kind of enjoy, they enjoy uh, the epic thermonuclear level gaslighting that they're engaging in here. There There was collusion. Yeah, there was. This is the Democrat Party's equivalent of slapping you across the face and then five minutes later saying, I didn't slap you. That's what Russia collusion is for them. And their base loves it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The most durable, the most pernicious, the most uh, unfair, destructive and favorite lie of the Democrats. 
is about Trump praising praising the uh, white nationalists in Charlottesville. I mean, we've heard more about that gathering of whatever it was, a couple of hundred maybe white nationalists than any other group of disgusting racists, I, I think, in history. Yeah, they're morons, they're evil, no one likes them, no one supports them. But why do we keep hearing about it? Well, one, because remember there was this whole story about the rise of white nationalism at the beginning of Trump. All these news stories. Oh, white nationalists are on the march. White nationalists in the white... This was like the Red Scare, except it was the white nationalist scare. It wasn't real. By the way, the Red Scare was real. A whole other, a whole other conversation. There were penetrations of the government. There were fellow travelers. There were communists, who today would just be called Democrats, who were working for the Soviet Union. But anyway, this is why we have to keep fighting over history. We can either fight over history or we can let them completely rewrite it for their own purposes using falsehoods, innuendos, and smears like the 1619 Project does, right? That's, we, we, can either, uh, we, we can either fight back on this or allow them to control, allow the left to control the narrative of this country. But the, the lie about Charlottesville, for me, is always a test because it is so easily disproven, but they don't care. It, the, the allegation, they think, is still too powerful. Their base gets so excited when they hear it it doesn't matter that it's a lie. They, they, they get usage out of it, even though here's Kazir Khan, who, remember, he was a, he's a gold star father who appeared in a political, a political capacity to attack the president. And here is what he's saying about Donald Trump. Again, this is the, the Democrats are all the greatest anti-Trump hits. That's what they're, they're rolling out with now. Play 15. Three years ago, my beloved city, Charlottesville, Virginia, was attacked by white supremacists and a young woman was killed. We were attacked again when Donald Trump praised those racists, turning his back on a community that just wanted peace. That was the day Joe Biden decided to join this battle for the soul of America. Over time, my wife, Ghazala, and I have come to know his soul He's a decent, compassionate man. He will bring this nation together. He's lying. The president didn't praise the Charlottesville racist. Just go. Do you have to take my word for it? Go watch the video. Look at the transcript. I mean, he said something that was could be open ended interpretation. If you really want to be giving him, uh, you know, no benefit of the doubt at all. And within the same, you know, the president obviously speaks very free form and and clarified in that same press conference in the, that I'm not talking about the white nationalists. I'm talking about the people that were in favor of keeping some of the statues because of our history, which is a debate that still goes on to this day in society. The Trump praised the Charlottesville white nationalist lie is why you can't trust Democrats because they, they all sign on for this because it's so emotionally, um, so emotionally volatile. Right. You hear that and you say, oh, my gosh, the president of the United States praised neo-Nazis. And notice where have been all the other have there been only all these other neo-Nazi rallies or white nationalist rallies across the country? Because in, I remember the first two years of the Trump presidency, we were always being told that there was this this huge rise of the white nationalists. And where, where are all those rallies? They don't exist. They're not happening. If they did. Oh, my gosh. It would be the biggest news story in the country, but it was all useful at the time to cover this and to create a narrative of Trump as the bad guy 
uh, who supports white nationalists, e- even though there's just there's not a basis for this in in reality. Just look at look at the transcript. That's what, that, what I've been saying all along. Look at the transcript, and you know for yourself that they will con- they will continue to mislead you. They will continue to just make things up about this, and it's just never it's never going to stop. It's never going to stop. Oh, I also want to point out to you that uh, Socialist Warren is out there. I saw I kept having a hard time with this. Was she really speaking at a, at a like a Native American uh, caucus meeting or something? I, I kept saying this online, which I find that hard to believe. But maybe maybe they did do that. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it was the, a parody from the uh, the Sacramento, not, not Sacramento Bee, the Babylon Bee. Whoops, Sacramento Bee is a real thing unintentional parody here's warren on what's going to happen if the democrats win just remember this one folks play 13 let's just look at the facts joe biden has committed to build back better and let me tell you what that means through joe biden's own plans it means investing in working families so he said he's going to invest in child care in canceling student loan debt uh that he's going to expand social security and better care for seniors including seniors that are cared for at home he says he's going to make the rich pay their fair shares going to be painful for you, Stephen, but that's what's going to happen, uh, that he's going to uh, insist on, on corporations having some accountability. These are the kinds of plans that I don't think are just about Democrats. I think these are the plans that all of America wants. These are the plans that will make our country work, not just for a handful of folks at the top, but make our country work for everyone. Make the country work for everyone what what does that mean that's my favorite question to ask about things that democrats say what does that really mean the country work for everyone there are people who work the people who don't work and the democrats want to give more from the people who work the people who don't work so is that working for everyone i i just i want to know what they really mean by this um we know that they mean they want to get rid of cops play a 16 why can't folks imagine a world without the cops? Why can't folks imagine a world um, without prisons? Why can't people expand their imaginations to include community care, to include an abolitionist future? Um, And I'm talking about like for real, for real abolition, not just watered down DNC version of abolition. Um, We're talking about abolishing the police. We're talking about abolishing ICE. We're talking about abolishing prisons. Your Democrat party, folks. That's what they want. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's this trend among conservatives, in the media at least, that I I see, where they're always kind of looking for an opportunity to show the general public that, you know, how how decent they are. Uh, You could call this virtue signaling. And I think that we saw a bit of this when it comes to uh, the Jill Biden, I, I look. I watched the Jill Biden speech, the uh, the John Kerry speech. I heard the John Legend performance. I got to say, I was telling Bruce Mark before the show. John Legend's pretty talented. I mean, his politics are super annoying, and his wife treats people horribly on Twitter. But the guy is talented. Uh, but I watched these speeches, and I was I was seeing all of this all of this happening. 
I'm thinking to myself, um, well, first of all, what is the message that they're really trying to get across with all of this? Because it, it feels uh, quite a bit disjointed. But then I watched the Jill Biden, the Jill Biden speech. And it was interesting because I saw it uh, after all of the uh, the conservatives that were out there saying, oh, you know, Jill Biden is so amazing and so impressive and all this stuff. OK, um, let's take a look at that for a second. Here's part of Jill Biden. Notice not Dr. Jill Biden, Jill Biden. Here's her, her speech. Play eight. The burdens we carry are heavy and we need someone with strong shoulders. I know that if we entrust this nation to Joe, he will do for your family what he did for ours. Bring us together and make us whole. Carry us forward in our time of need. Keep the promise of America. Okay, this is pretty boilerplate, standard political rhetoric. I mean, there's nothing in there that you say, wow, that's really a a compelling point. I, I would like them to show us. I would like to know what is... The th- what is the new information that we have? Because even Democrats were aware as of last year. Even Democrats were aware of the uh, deficiencies of Joe Biden. They didn't want him as their as their candidate early on in the primary. I know it all it all shifted over time, but nobody was in the media at least excited about Joe Biden. He ran in 2008 and he couldn't get above a couple of percentage points. So what is what has changed Well, he fits the need that Democrats have to try to convince swing state voters that the Democrats are not the party of lunatics like AOC, who don't know anything, who are full of self-righteousness and are just ignorant and dangerous. They want to get away from that. So they're going to go with, oh, you know, how, how dangerous can the government be in the hands of Joe Biden? That's their pitch. But I just want some information about what has changed about Biden that we should believe makes him qualified now when even Democrats realized he wasn't qualified before. They put John Kerry ahead of this guy. They put John Kerry. Oh, John Kerry spoke last night here. The the most, the most boring, the most boring and uh, pompous, worthless politician in the Democrat Party in many ways. Play 14. For the eight years of the Obama-Biden administration, we led by example. We eliminated the threat of an Iran with a nuclear weapon. We built a 68-nation coalition to destroy ISIS. We forged a 195-nation agreement to attack climate change. We stopped Ebola before it became a pandemic. Donald Trump inherited a growing economy and a more peaceful world. And like everything else he inherited, he bankrupted it. When this president goes overseas, it isn't a goodwill mission, it's a blooper reel. He breaks up with our allies and writes love letters to dictators. America deserves a president who is looked up to, not laughed at. Donald Trump pretends Russia didn't attack our election, and now he does nothing about Russia putting a bounty on our troops. So he won't defend our country, he doesn't know how to defend our troops. The only person he's interested in defending is himself. That from a guy who was secretary of state to a president who escalated uh, over 100,000 soldiers into Afghanistan so that people would stop pointing out that Obama didn't know a damn thing about the military or national security or military service or combat or any of those things. 
who who has a foreign policy record to stand on here? Uh, let's go back. The Obama administration, the collapse of Syria into a civil war that turned into a regional conflagration where 500,000 plus people died, led to the rise of ISIS, the collapse uh, of Iraq, uh, the last minute effort to save the Kurds from from the genocide of the Islamic State, the collapse of Libya, the spread of ISIS franchises all over the world. ISIS-inspired mass casualty attacks like the Pulse nightclub and San Bernardino on U.S. soil. How does, how does Obama's foreign policy look good to anybody again? Oh, begging the mullahs for a deal in Iran that no person who understands Iran in a meaningful way believe that they were going to, uh, they were going to adhere to over the long term and not pursue nuclear weapons when it was all, uh, all said and done. That's, that's the legacy? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, John Kerry is is such a a joke and a jerk. But he's a member Democrat nominee for the presidency. Democrat nominee for the presidency. I mean, I'll admit, like, I met Romney, not great. And he was our nominee at one point. John McCain, politician John McCain, not great. And he was our, you know, we've had a straight look, Bush. Ah, I got very mixed feelings, but I, I do think I think Bush is a good guy, but it's very, very tough to look at the Bush presidency as a conservative and come out of that saying that he was really adept in the role of president. Very, very tough, folks. Yeah, I see. I'm honest here. I mean, John Kerry's a joke. He's a guy who just kept he's the gentleman senator from Massachusetts. You know, as long as the wife is funding everything else, uh, you know, with, with with money made by another man, by the way. Uh, you know, I think the whole thing is is really just uh, depressing. Actually, this DNC, I, I think it's a depressing circumstance. All right, let me get back to to Jill Biden, because all the conservatives, oh, Jill Biden's so amazing. I mean, she's fine. I, got no, I don't have a problem with Jill Biden, but I don't, I don't see what all the hubbub is about. I don't really understand. And here's a question that I think that, should be answered and it and it won't be of course play none the president's campaign this week released an ad just uh, really attacking your husband's cognitive ability, suggesting that he's lost a step or two in the last few years. As far as you're concerned, is that a fair attack? Is that something that should be debated as part of the campaign? No, no, it's ridiculous. I mean, Joe's on the phone every single minute of the, of the day talking to governors who are who are calling him and Nancy Pelosi. He's on the Zoom. He's doing fundraisers. He's doing briefings. I mean, he doesn't stop from nine in the morning till 11 at night. So that, you know, that's ridiculous. Mm, who are you going to believe? Joe Biden's wife or your lying eyes? Um, maybe Joe Biden is also and I've thought this for a while. He might also just be dumber than people have thought before. And so they think it's cognitive decline, but maybe it's just cognitive limitation. Uh, this guy who's n- never been somebody of of a high intellectual caliber ever. No one's ever thought that gives a speech, sounds the part, looks the part. You know, he's kind of a throwback. He's like the perfect Democrat politician from 1985. And he was a politician in 1985. So it's not really surprising when you think about it. And we're told he will save the country. We're told that he uh, 
has his finger on the pulse. Um, I just want you all to be prepared for the greatest gaslighting in the in the history of your life. That is what will be occurring between now and the election on Russia, on Biden's cognitive abilities, on what they used to say about Biden and what they used to say about Harris and what they're all going to be claiming now. It's just the, the truth is going to be so hard to find in any media coverage. It's going to be covered in a layer of 100 lies from MSNBC, The New York Times, CNN, and all the rest of it. So we, we might as well understand that's what it is right now. Oh, wait, I want here's. No, actually, we don't want to hear any more from Biden. I've had enough. Hey, Jill Biden, I don't understand why we're all supposed to say it's, oh, we're, it's so impressive. I'm sure, look, I'm sure she's probably a nice lady. I don't have anything against Jill Biden. I'm not, I'm not some lunatic that hates people's families because I disagree with their politics. I'm actually a nice person. But I don't think I have to sit around and be like, oh, my gosh, Jill Biden. Maybe I should vote for, for Joe because of Jill. No, no, it's, you know, she's his wife. She's saying nice things about him. That's fine. But I also would note that we do have this tradition now of spouses in politics get to be political figures without really being criticized. Melania gets trashed all the time. The, the, the gorgeous six language speaking immigrant that Donald Trump is married to, she, she's trashed all the time, of course. But if you criticize a Democrat politician's spouse, uh, we, we look, we all know these are the double standards that exist and will continue to exist because... Liberals will gaslight us and say that they don't. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, so how are we looking right now with the DNC two days done? And we got the Republican convention coming up soon. Polls are starting to tighten. Is Trump going to keep America great with four more years or not? We got my man Harlan Hill in the mix to talk to us about this. He is a political consultant. A buddy of mine down in D.C., Mr. Harlan. It's been a while, buddy. How are you? It's uh, great to be with you. I miss you being down here, but I'm sure you don't miss the swamp. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, I miss some of the people. I miss some of the people, you and some of the squad. Tell yeah. Raheem to stay out of trouble. All right. What's going on with yeah. with the Trump campaign as you see it right now? And and uh, perhaps, well, actually, l- l- let me start with this. Well, do you think this DNC is going to make a bump uh, happen for them? Oh, this has been such a flop. You know, I... I've been calling it the Democratic National Zoom call. It's uh, painful to watch. I mean, last night in particular, the uh, celebration after Joe Biden officially accepted the nomination as the as, as the leader of the Democratic Party, um, it was so anticlimactic. I mean, I pray that on our side, uh, we're taking notes about how bad this has gone, like how, how low the ratings are, how anticlimactic it is, how small ball it looks. And we're making some adjustments so that next week we have a stark contrast. Um, but, you know, my number one takeaway, I, I got to be honest, from last night was that there is still very much a civil war raging within the Democratic Party between the AOC wing and the more moderate, pragmatic wing of the Democratic Party. And it was on full display last night. Bob. I feel like we should probably because we haven't yet done it. uh Play the clip that got a lot of attention last night with AOC. Mark, play two. In a time when millions of people in the United States are looking for deep, systemic solutions to our crises of mass evictions, unemployment, and lack of health care, in el espíritu del pueblo, and out of a love for all people, I hereby second the nomination of Senator Bernard Sanders of Vermont 
for president of the United States of America. Now, everyone made a big deal out of this. My understanding is that there's some procedural thing where you got to, you know, you got to have the nominate. Even the people show up who aren't going to be that get a nominating. I, I don't know. I mean, this is like arcane nonsense about how the convention works. But the fact that AOC was the one they picked to say this, I think, is a reminder to the progressive base. Oh, don't worry. We're actually going to be running stuff. Absolutely. And, and Buck, I'll also point out that she could have at least referenced Joe Biden in her statement. And, and she didn't. In the two minutes that she was on air, that she was given this platform at the Democratic National Zoom call, uh, she, she didn't uh, throw her support even modestly or even acknowledge Joe Biden. So there is a war raging within the party. And I, I also wanted to take note of the fact that uh, the Democrats have tried to downplay the importance of Black Lives Matter. Uh, of, uh, they've tried to focus less on some of the far left social issues. Um, and, and this is in an effort, if you look at all of their messaging, to appeal to more moderate voters. They know that in order to win, um, it's not going to be AOC's people. You know, they're, they're, they've, they've, they've done the calculus and they think we're going to have to take far left progressives for granted and we're going to have to move back to the middle. Uh, now, as the polls tighten, uh, as we get closer to the election I, and, and we, they, they grow concerned about keeping their base motivated to get out and vote against President Trump, I think that might change. I think that they're going to have to make some concessions, especially because someone like AOC, I think she telegraphed last night that they're not going to be just silent partners in this. They want a platform. They want to talk about the Green New Deal. They want to talk about socialism. They want to talk about universal basic income. They want to talk about socialized medicine. Like They are not going to sit around and just allow the Democratic Party to, to ignore them because they fear that, that once the, Democrat, the, the moderate Democratic Party is in power, uh, that they'll be forgotten. So they're, they're going to make their mark uh, on, on this process. What are we expecting? Because, uh, you know, you talk to the folks from the Trump campaign. You know all those people down there. Harlan's a good swamp creature, everybody. He's like, you know, they're in, in the Wizard of Oz, there's the good witch and the bad witch. Harden's, Har- Harlan's a, the good swamp creature. So he knows what's going on inside the Beltway. What are we expecting for the RNC? You said you hope they've learned their lessons. And then just the campaign going forward. Yeah. Do we have the right pieces in play for the campaign infrastructure? Or are we going to have, you know, uh, the best possible showing for Donald Trump? Yeah, you know, I, I would be I'd be lying if I said that um, I think this is going to be easy. You know, Buck, I, I look at the polling in all of the major battleground states and it's tight or we're losing. And um, I, I think that the polling will, will will sharpen up as we get closer to November. Um, but I, I know for a fact that the campaign is making some adjustments to messaging, to leadership, um, to keep this campaign on the right track um, and to give the president the best possible chance at four more years. Um, but I know for I also know that just pointing to um, Joe Biden's mental competence is, is whether asking the question, you know, does he have dementia or Alzheimer's, you know, that that's not going to be sufficient. We truly need to start laying out in a more uh, articulate way uh, what our plan is for the next four years. I mean, I, I go around town, and ask a lot of uh, our fellow Republicans, you know, what is the messaging of the Trump campaign in 2020? Like, what is the value proposition we're giving to voters for, for why the president deserves four more years? And I, I haven't gotten a coherent answer from a single person that I've spoken to. Now, I think that they're making some adjustments and they're starting to to build out the platform now. And I think that that will really be rolled out next week at the RNC. Um, and so I view the RNC as an important make or break reset in the campaign. 
and, and really the formal debut of the re-election effort. Harlan Hill, everybody, political consultant. If I ever ran for office, which I won't, I'd have Harlan run the campaign. There you go, Harlan. Smart man. Thanks. Smart man. Thanks so much, my buddy. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, luckily, it's it's minimal. Um, but yes, we do absolutely have our challenges. We have people who are afraid and scared because of COVID-19. We now have literally tens of thousands of people who are unemployed because of the economic downturn occasioned by the shutdowns that were necessary because of the president's failed leadership on COVID-19. And we're dealing with the reckoning across the Chicago, as in many cities across the country, uh, related to systemic racism. So we are on the front line of an incredible moment uh, in our civic history, not only in Chicago, but across the country. And I have to say, the remark about the bridges, one of the bridges that we put up is near Trump Tower, because our protesters and vigilantes would love nothing more than to attack Trump Tower. So those little notes that I get from Eric Trump after every time that we protected that property, if they want us to stop, say the word. Lawlessness, lawlessness, and more lawlessness. We all see it. Lori Lightfoot can try to come up with as many explanations for why the city of Chicago is having uh, record high shootings and murders. Uh, But we already know what the answer is. We know it's because the Democrat Party, in a fit of rage, in a fit of childish anti-Trump anger, and feeling like they're not in power. They need their people in power in D.C. Decided to undermine police, and with that really a fundamental uh, a fundamental bulwark of our whole society. That, that's, that's what happened. They can try to come up with as many different diversions and digressions from it as possible, but it's very clear to anyone, I think, who's paying attention and being honest that we're seeing this spike in violence in the cities. You know, they're still looking for that guy out in Portland who kicked the individual in the face. Many of you might have seen this video. He's pulled out of a car. There's an angry mob. They beat they throw him on the ground and then they they beat him while he's on the ground. And then this guy runs up and just soccer ball kicks him right in the face. He's totally defenseless, helpless, doesn't see it coming. It's such a, a cruel and vicious thing. These are all Democrats who are doing this. The people that want to to lecture you. How could you vote for Trump? Have no contempt for the people that are representing in their own way the Democrat Party who are burning down neighborhoods and attacking people and engaged in the just the, the most disgraceful mob activities imaginable. Right. But they they don't care. They don't care. The looting, the rioting. None of that really matters. In fact, they secretly like it. I, I've always believed that there's a, a much broader support for this looting among Democrats than you'll usually see, uh, than, than you'll see out in the open, because they think that America needs to be punished. I really believe this. I think the Democrat Party believes that America needs to be punished. And even if you know it's a collective punishment, and even though it's going to affect a lot of Democrats, too, We need to be made to suffer for the sin of electing Donald Trump. And that's central to a lot of what you see going on here. You're just never going to 
convince Democrats that he won the election fair and square in 2016. And even if you could, then they would say, well, clearly this country needs to be cleansed of its Trump support. This country needs to go through a very difficult and dangerous time for the for the crime of electing Donald Trump. That is how they view it. You know, I, I, I told you this. I remember in the 2012 election, when Barack Obama won four more years. There was no sense. There was no part of me that was, oh, you know, let's let's say he cheated or let's uh, pretend he's not the president. Let's go march and say he's not really the president. Let's figure out a way to entrap his senior officials and, and maybe try to imprison him or, or members of his family. All things that Democrats do when Trump wins. And I, I think that one of the problems in this paradigm that we, we have to address is we've been led to believe that the the two political parties in this country are like, you know, man and wife or, you know, man and woman that that we you need to come together. There, there's an inherent. Yeah, they're different. Oh, no, I, I, I know two genders. Right. You're not allowed to say that anymore, but that they come together, you know, unitive and and then they procreate and it's better for the future. And that, you know, you need the one, you know, we're, we're yin and yang, however, however you want to put it. You know, we're the necessary ballast in our societies that we have these two parties. Uh, keep in mind that the history of a lot of political parties around the world is that eventually one of them, you know, becomes the hamster in the cage that eats all the other hamsters, which, as I understand, it can happen sometimes. Uh, eventually they they grow to a one party, a de facto, if not de jure, one party state. And I think Democrats see that in their future. I think that they believe that. And, and I also think that the Democrat Party what it what it has stood for in the past that at the time was uh, was it was either a good idea or at least a sensible idea or whatever. They, they now have reached a point where there's nothing that they are advocating for that I say in practice, this will work the way they say it will. And it will be good for all of us. There's no, nothing I can think of where that is the case. In fact, the same way that I tell you, I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement will make everything worse for everyone. Um, I believe and has done that. I, I believe that the Democrat Party, if they're in power, is gonna is gonna accomplish the same feat of making things worse for everybody. I I think that's absolutely, absolutely the case. And that's why I think it's so important that we continue to push with everything we have against this Democrat onslaught against Trump, because it's it's going to be something that we all pay for if they manage to, to get their way here and they are they're able to convince. It's not that hard to do. It's going to be a very close election. if They're able to uh, convince people that they should get another shot, that some kind of a change. Remember, hope and change. Some kind of a change is necessary. Uh, then they'll they'll be in a position to perhaps turn America into the one-party state using... I already told you the mechanism is. It's not that hard. They want amnesty. If they get amnesty for legal aliens in this country, they have an unbeatable national voting advantage because they're going to get amnesty and then they're going to pass, as soon as they can, voting rights for those who are amnestied in the country. That, that's it's, it's a one-two punch, folks. There's no way that they're not going to do that. And once you give a right like that, you're not going to be able to take it away. Uh, so if that happens, then you can forget about winning national elections and you're just going to be left with whatever 
you can whatever uh, freedoms you think you can get from your state government while your state's still red, which not going to be that many of those left either. So I'm, I'm just saying we need to understand what the other side wants and what they would do. And we also have to see what, what the tactics are going to be. You know, they've got the Russia collusion story out there. They've got the Russia collusion story. Um, but they've also got this post office situation that continues to play out. They're, they're talking to us all the time about how this is a way that Trump is going to steal, steal the election. And you notice the fur it's some of the furthest left members of Congress are the ones who are pushing this the most. Play uh, 17. You know, Postmaster DeJoy can say whatever he wants about what changes will or will not happen in the future. He has lost the trust of the American people. He has lost our trust to make sure that he will follow through. After they said that they would suspend taking mailboxes out, there were reports and there was confusion about whether that was continuing to happen or not. We need to get him under oath on a committee letting us know what is happening. And we have to undo the damage that he has already done. What what damage has already been done? And and I, I think it's fascinating that there's the assumption that you know limiting limiting people's ability to vote by the mail is is automatically going to dramatic to uh, dramatically benefit Democrats everywhere and all across the country. It may be true, but why is that true? I think that's worth digging into a little bit more than anybody has recently in the media. But the postmaster DeJoy as bad guy story that we're told here. They've already said we're not going to move. We're not going to move any more post office boxes. We don't want everybody to freak out. So we're going to everybody. Everybody needs to calm down a little bit here. We're, we're going to figure this out. Just chillax. Going to be all right. No, Democrats can't do that. Because if they get everybody all worked up about this from the very beginning, then guess what? Even if, if they lose the election, they have a built in excuse. And if they uh, win the election, well, then they'll say, They'll be very happy that they got as much mail-in voting as they possibly could. So they, they feel like they get it either way. Oh, I, I just as, as a uh, something that I left that I wanted to get to here. Uh, you know, the one person you're just absolutely not allowed to criticize at all as a member of the media and in public discourse. And I mean, you can't say anything. Michelle Obama. And I give cre- a credit to President Trump because the... Former G- the pre-Trump GOP would have absolutely adhered to the no criticism of Michelle Obama rule. And that is one of the reasons why we lose, right? Because they can create invincible, uh, I- invincible messengers for their side. And we play along with this and say, whoa, whoa, we can't criticize that person, even when they're stepping out into public and becoming a, a political figure. President Trump had some thoughts on Michelle Obama's speech. Play 20. Do you want to respond to Michelle Obama's speech last night where she said that you're in over your head and the wrong president? Yeah, no, she was over her head. And frankly, she should have made the speech live, which she didn't do. She taped it. And it was not only taped, it was taped a long time ago because she had the wrong deaths. She didn't even mention the vice presidential candidate. Uh, in the speech. And, you know, she gets these fawning reviews. If you gave a real review, it wouldn't be so fawning. I thought it was a very divisive speech, extremely divisive. No, I thought her speech was very divisive. And frankly, I wouldn't even be here if it weren't for Barack Obama. See, we're standing in the White House. I wouldn't be in the White House except for Barack Obama because they did a bad job, Biden. 
That's one of the things I love about the president is that they they would they would expect under any other Republican with any other Republican. You just have to bow down to St. Michelle Obama. You're not allowed to say anything other than this speech was amazing. And there's a little bit of that with the Jill Biden stuff last night. Why? Look, if 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 you think it's fine, I would say, yeah, she's talking to her husband. It's fine. Whatever. It was it was forgetful. I don't care. Everyone's oh, they're all so impressed with her. I, I don't know why conservatives can't help it. We we have so many people in conservative media, particularly who just want the libs to pat them on the head a little bit on Twitter or just want, you know, a New York Times writer to say, oh, he or she, I guess, isn't so bad after all. We, we have this need, this compulsion for that little pat on the head from the mainstream media. It's so, it's so very sad. But that is what happens. President Trump willing to say about Michelle Obama what other people are not, which is that the speech wasn't that great. It's not really that impressive. I don't know why we all have to act like this is everything she does is, is amazing. And oh, I've said before that I think she'd be very potent for the Democrats if they were to run her. But that's just because Democrats are obsessed with Democrats love Michelle Obama. So you have huge base turnout, huge African-American turnout. But if we're trying to be objective about who, who she is and, and what she's capable of and what she I, I mean. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really see it. Didn't Colin Powell speak last night, too? I, don't, I didn't see his speech, but come on, Colin Powell. Who cares? You know, I, I think if anything, it's useful to have these former, quote, Republicans who come forward, the Romneys and the Colin Powells who come forward and say stuff that just lets us all know they were never really conservative. They were kind of they were kind of gentlemen Republicans. You know, they're kind of like country club Republicans. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Goodyear Tires gets woke. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Another company that you'd never think is super political decides it's time to get really political. Uh, Goodyear Tires, according to slides that have been shared now online, uh, has a policy banning MAGA hats or any attire for employees on the job under its ban on hateful speech. So this is now a large corporation that is saying you wanting to support the current occupant of the White House is hateful speech. Trump tweeted about this. Don't buy Goodyear tires. They announced a ban on MAGA hats. Get better tires for far less. This is what radical left Democrats do. Two can play the same game. And now we have to start playing it now. This is about response to lib corporate political tyranny and i'm somebody who has always said i don't like boycotts i wish people would stop but we have entered the fight fire with fire phase of this now so yes i i think that people shouldn't buy goodyear tires i've i've evolved on this point or changed or flip-flopped whatever you want to call it i go back and forth i think there are competing goods here on the one side of things i don't want a hyper politicized society where everything is constantly about who you support and what, you know, what, who you voted for. And I do think that we need for us to be a healthy society areas of our, of our lives that are escapes from that. Oh, you know, like sports, which the libs have also taken away from us now. I think that's all very important. 
But I also think that the only way that they will stop uh, what they do is if they understand that this becomes mutually assured destruction because they, they otherwise they just have an advantage. Right. It's a one way. It's a one way war and they're going to win over time. So the president calling for a, a for not buying Goodyear tires. I'm sure they're going to say this is some kind of a violation of, I don't know, the Constitution or the Hatch Act or something like that. I'm, I'm quite sure that will come out of this at some point because they they've always they've always got some uh some rule book reason for why whatever trump did is terrible it's the worst thing ever uh you also at goodyear cannot wear anything that supports blue lives matter or all lives matter does anyone want to guess though can you have black lives matter oh yes you can have that you can have black lives. So you can have a left-wing Marxist political movement responsible for the destruction of neighborhoods and the murder and assault of individuals all across the country. You can have that, but you can have blue lives matter. You can't have, okay. You can't have stuff like that. They also put out, Goodyear put out in their statement, we ask that they refrain from workplace political campaigning as well as other similar forms of advocacy that fall outside the scope of equity issues. This is the company officially saying it. Ah, okay. So equity issues. So you can wear, you know, uh, LGBTQ pride shirts. You can wear Black Lives Matter. Whatever the left approves of as an equity issue. I notice they've moved from equality to equity. And that's a very important distinction. Equality is that we all are treated the same in the eyes of the law. Equity is we all have the same. Not that we not just the concept that we are the same as people. That's equality. Equity is we all have the same stuff at the end. It's a quality of outcome, not a quality of opportunity. But you see now corporate media is very clearly letting people know that there will be carve outs. Just like in the pandemic gathering policy, there were carve outs for BLM protests. There are carve outs in corporate speech now. Yes to BLM, no to MAGA. This is a toxic part of our corporate culture that we have to fight back on. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. Time for roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Let's get to it. Alex writes, Buck, I discovered you about a year ago and your show quickly became a daily can't miss. I appreciate the unique, knowledgeable, and often hilarious perspective you bring to news talk. Even in the extra-repetitive, beat-down news cycles of 2020, I feel like I'm going to find some gold by tuning in or downloading each day. Well, Alex, thank you so much. That's really very, very kind of you and uh, very motivating. As a conservative in my 20s, it's been great to discover our team has some young intellectuals that bring fresh perspective and make worthwhile points. And it's nice to know I don't have to get yelled at by the most grating voices of any uh, any time I want to get a news digest outside of the mainstream. Hmm. 
Who are those really grating voices who yell at people? I wonder. I hope the platforms of interesting, collected, and entertaining hosts like you and Mike Slater only continue to grow exponentially because I'm sure it will play an important role in winning over the younger generations who conservatives have been failing to reach for so long. They desperately need to get a true picture of what conservative is about so the brainwashing cycles of mainstream culture can be broken. Thank you for standing up for your beliefs and know that I will be passing the buck to anyone I don't worry will throw a brick through my window. Shields high. Well, Alex, great to have you as part of the team. Uh, thank you so much for your kind, your kind note and, and, and willingness to pass the buck. And yeah, look, conservatives, because I've said this for a long time, because conservatives don't go through life, especially in the culture and in academia, uh, they don't go through life with the constant expectation that they will have their beliefs reflected by all the people around them and that they understand that if they share their thoughts, people will find it acceptable to attack them. We are much more durable and rigorous in our intellectual positions than your average leftist is. It's just true. I mean, I've always said that while I went to a very liberal college, I came out of it more confident than ever in my conservative beliefs because I was always having to go toe to toe with the other side, including the professors in my classes, which wasn't really helpful for my GPA. But I'm used to that. And, and one thing, you know, I've, I've, I've been asked before, why, why did you become a conservative? And it really comes from, uh, you could say it's just having a, a BS detector of sorts, but I remember being told things that were liberal beliefs or ideas, you know, progressive Democrat kind of stuff at a very young age. I mean, going back maybe to freshman year of high school, even eighth, ninth grade, I would be told things and I would just say, but that's not true. Right? That's not what really happens or that's not really what did happen in the past. That was where I, I had my, my first sense of conservative, seeing things for, if you see things for what they are, and you have the ability to be objective about different aspects of reality, history, the human experience, you will be conservative. Right? If you think that your emotional connection to ideas and the self-fulfillment of, of the connection to those ideas is the most important thing, you will increasingly find yourself a liberal. Right? The, this uh, misplacement of, they, they would consider it idealism, and I think it's just shallow virtue signaling. This is, how, this is how people I know become liberals, because the liberals that I know in New York, uh, and, I, and I do know plenty of them, you know, they will tell you that they care so much about BLM, for example, and then I'll, all you have to do to really enrage them, I'm talking about white liberals now that I know, is say, really, when was the last time that you spent the night in a majority black neighborhood? When was the last time, I, I asked my white liberal friends, when was the last time you uh, slept over at a, at a uh, black friend's house? Even? What, what, what exposure do you, liberal, have in real terms, to the black community in high crime areas. I'm not talking about, you know, your, your buddy that also went to Harvard with you and lives across the street in Tribeca or something. I'm saying the black community that is struggling, what connection do liberals have to? The answer is nothing. 
The answer is they're total phonies on it. And yet they like, they like to believe that because they will vote for Joe Biden, they have such a, a, such a connection to the black community. It's, it's pretty stunning. It's a really uh, self-aggrandizing delusion. That's what you end up getting from it. And, and there, are, there are conservative ideas uh, that, that are out there that I, I, I struggle with, I go back and forth on. Uh, you know, I how much protection can religion have from government? There are there are areas of real intellectual pursuit and areas of real uh, debate that need to happen. You know, the death penalty is one for me. That's always one. You know, I, I bring that one up a lot where I say I I'm uncomfortable with the death penalty until I see what happened to that five year old boy in North Carolina. And then I'm ready to flip the switch myself on the guy who shot him. Right. That's and I know that and maybe that's an emotional response, but I. You know, I, I do feel some hesitation, especially because I, I feel like the state is not to be trusted in general. The state is not to be trusted. So they're, they're, I go back and forth on that way. I see that's what happens, though, Alex. You write in something like that to me and you get me really going on some things. And I'm a little little delayed on the rest of the roll call now. So let's get to it. Brett, yo, Buck, I'm getting my concealed carry here in Ohio in a town just outside Cincinnati. I called my local sheriff's office to schedule an appointment on August 3rd, got a return call on August 10th. The first available appointment was September 30th. I'm not sure how many appointments per day they have, but it feels good knowing everyone in my town is getting their concealed carry. Yeah, Brett, uh, that's I, I wish it were legal here in New York. I would love someone to explain to me how a person with zero criminal record Nothing but a history of responsible civic behavior. Uh, and, you know, someone like me who has been trained by the federal government to use firearms safely and properly. Why shouldn't I be able to go just just go to the uh, if I want the local police precinct, not not one police plaza, the big police station, the headquarters in New York, which looks like something out of the Soviet Union, it looks like you're never going to come out of it when you go in. Uh, but why can't I just go to my local precinct and, you know, fill out a, a one form and, and get a concealed carry permit or maybe take a two hour class or something if they want me to. But no, in New York, it's basically impossible unless you're politically connected, unless you got some ability to, to move the needle a little bit with the uh, the powers that be. You can't get why can't I get a concealed carry permit? I have a Second Amendment right to bear arms and to defend myself, but they they take that away from me. I'm glad, Brett, that you are able to enjoy your Second Amendment rights. So good on you with that. TJ, Buck, in regards to the cringeworthy DNC speeches, what do you think Republicans ought to do to make their convention a little more bearable? Has there been any consideration to live audiences at various locations? Obviously, with appropriate social distancing measures to avoid any sort of scrutiny from the left. Alternatively, maybe they should scrap some of the speeches and instead have live panel discussions where people can write questions into the guest speakers or have some long form interview segments with some of our favorite podcasters and radio hosts. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge and guests. Just my two cents. Let's make this virtual convention great or at least greater than the Democrat convention. TJ, I have no idea what the Republicans have planned for their convention, and but I am with you in that I am very hopeful that it is far more impressive than what we have seen from the Democrat convention so far. I think 
I think the Democrat convention will be forgotten before it's even over. Like nobody cares. Nobody remembers. No one has emerged as an as a new star of this convention. Interesting. They only gave AOC, uh, what, 60 seconds to speak. You would have thought that they would have tried to elevate her more. But it makes sense, doesn't it? Biden, the pragmatic centrist. That's what they're saying. And, and Kamala Harris, the pragmatic moderate. Right. They don't want to give too much of a spotlight to AOC because AOC is going to speak the truth about the radicalism of the Democrat Party. They don't want that. They want somebody that they can play this game of, oh, you know, it's just a person who's got some thoughts on some stuff. Yeah. So, uh, TJ, as, as for the specific mechanics of how this is all going to work and what can be done, you know, I, I just I don't I don't know what, what they're able to do. I, I think that. I'm hoping they've got something good planned. That's all I can tell you, because what would be so great would be to have. I mean, could you imagine if Trump was able to do the rallies again, if we didn't have this pandemic? It's like this whole thing was tailor made to even to even the odds between Trump and Sleepy Joe. It means you can't gather. It means the economy is down. I mean, this is why you just you never know in politics. I would have I would have bet the farm, so to speak, back in in December of 2019 that Donald Trump was going to win re-election. How could he not? Now, it just feels like it could go either way. I, I think, look, I'm, I'm hopeful. I think he's going to pull it off, but nobody really knows. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Richard writes in, Buck, happy Hoosier hellos. If AOC does this postcard thing, we should all sign up and send them postcards of guns or dip them in oil, pro-life cards, etc., and just watch the libs' heads explode. Shields high. Uh, well, Richard, Richard, that's, uh, that's one way to go. I'm not sure that would really work out all that well, but I, I see what you're doing. I, I like the, the, uh, the humorous attempt, but... I don't think I don't think we're going to get too far with that one. I don't see that one really happening. Uh, Eric Buck and producer Mark. I ordered life cinnamon from Instacart. The box was a little damaged. The box was open, but plastic closed. What do I do? Also, how do we get rid of de Blasio? I work in alcohol sales at bars and some out. Some owners are not hearing indoor seating until next year. Thanks for the great work. Uh, I'll take the second part and I'll pass the first one to producer Mark. I don't believe that Democrats are going to allow the major cities to open indoor dining until 2021. Just eat the damn cereal. It was sealed. Producer Mark says, eat the cereal. Don't be a wimp. They can hear us. They they can hear me too. No, I know. I'm I'm, I'm just affirming that that is your, your, I mean, wouldn't you eat it? Um, yeah, as long as the plastic was, was still sealed, I'd eat it. Like, if you, yeah. if you look at the plastic and you see, like, a hole in it or something, yeah, I would go return the cereal. But if just the box is damaged, who cares? Producer Mark, where are you on dropping food on the ground and then eating it? You don't eat it. Interesting. Unless there's, like, a very specific circumstance where maybe you just clean the floor. Hmm. But, no. What about washing it, though? No? Well, what is it? Like, is it raw chicken? Or That's is it cooked? Gross. Yeah. You drop a grape on the floor. Do you eat it or no? No, well, why? Why risk it? I guess there's. You, you, it's not like you have one grape, right? Exactly. I mean, that would be you're going to have a bowl of grapes. You usually likely. have a lot of grapes. Yeah. 
So that might that might work out in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's um you know, it's always a sad thing when you get your your life cereal in the box is broken. I don't, I don't know. There you go, Eric. I'm glad that uh, it's all going to work out in the end for you, though. Patrick, right? Seriously, you don't know that Buffalo Springfield was an iconic group that was at the start of the country rock movement? From that group sprang Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, and Poco, whose members later showed up in Loggins and Messina and the Eagle. Still, everybody loves Buck Sexton. Thank you, Patrick. No, there are some... There are some holes in my music knowledge, and and I did not, in fact, know the Buffalo Buffalo Springfield. But to be fair, producer Mark, did you know Buffalo Springfield? I've heard the name. I've definitely heard of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but I wouldn't say it's my go-to uh, listening habits. Yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. Um, CC next up in the mix here. My boyfriend and I listen every day. Thank you, CC. That's awesome. It makes us so happy. Since MSM talking heads can only seem to spew complete lies fed to them by their globalist masters, it has been so refreshing to hear your intelligible thoughts on today's current events. We pass the buck every chance we get. Keep up the good work. Shields high. CC, thank you so much. Passing the buck is how we get uh, more and more people to listen to this show to counteract the lib insanity. And it is the single most helpful and it's 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 our favorite thing. We love when people pass the buck. Spotify, if you know someone listens to Spotify, so easy. You just type in Buck Sexton. It'll pop up. They can listen anytime. Subscribe there. The iHeartRadio app. You can type in Buck Sexton. Same thing. It'll pop up and listen. And it's on demand. So you can listen live if you want on the iHeart app, or you can listen to the Buck Sexton channel. Right, Producer Mark? Isn't that how it goes? Well, yes, there's a Buck Sexton channel that will just play random shows all day, and obviously the real show will be live 6 to 9, and then if you search the Buck Sexton Show podcast, you can get the show on demand anytime you want. There you go. Well, anyway, thank you, C. Did I say CC? I think it's just C. Uh, thank you, C. We really appreciate it. And then we bring it home here with Alan. Buck, I suspect you may be wrong about Kamala's succession. Side note, guys, succession is a great show. Highly recommend. Loved every episode. Maybe one or two episodes, a little slow, but really thought it was a great show and think that you should all check it out. It's very, very good. And uh, also really enjoying Bosch. I think Bosch is I give Bosch an A, maybe an A plus. Same with succession. And I was without show to watch for a while so this is very exciting for me that i found two great although succession is done i need a third season to come back alan then writes about the kamala succession they will have robo joe hold the seat for two years and one day then retire him so kamala can make a run at the nine years and 364 day pregnancy uh sorry presidency making it effectively a three-term Dem demolition project. Not that I want this, but as crazy as everything else has gone this year, I think it's probable. Isn't that kind of I, I didn't I say that after Joe, I said by the midterms, he'll leave and hand it over to Kamala so she can then run as president for reelection. So how does that work, though? Can she get a second term out of that? I don't know. That's a good question. Has I'm it ever sure happened in history? I feel like if anyone knew you would. I, I usually that is true of me. But producer Mark, I appreciate the faith. But on this one, I actually don't know. I assume you can only get I assume that your your partial term is considered a term. But we'll, we'll check into that. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Pass the buck. Check us out at BucksExon.com. Shields high.